Well, good morning once again. We have reached the third and final parable in our series, and I want to spend some time looking at the parable of the prodigal son. That's what we're going to focus on today, the prodigal son, verses 11 through 32, but then I'm going to take a few moments at the end of the sermon to tie all three of these sermon, or parables together. Because as I mentioned when I started, there are some themes, there are some threads that are running through all three of these parables that Jesus told. So let's go ahead and turn to Luke 15. We're going to pick up verse 11. The the text will be on your screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, Luke 15, verse 11. We're going to go through this oft-quoted parable, but see if we can't maybe find some new stuff there. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to them his livelihood. You know, to ask one's father for one's share of the inheritance early was unheard of in these days. In effect, it would be like a son saying to his father, Father, I wish you were dead already. Pretty pretty heavy stuff. In a society stressing obedience to one's father, it would have been seen as a serious act of rebellion for which the father could have beaten him or worse. The typical response in this situation would be for the father to disown the son. The fact that the father fulfills the son's request, though, once again means that the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to here, they wouldn't have been readily available, readily willing or able to relate to the main protagonist in this story. They would think of the father as being foolishly lax to pamper such an immoral son. The ironic thing, though, is that most of Jesus' hearers in this moment, they would not have yet realized that Jesus, through this story, is depicting God's mercy toward them. He continues, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Moralists, both Jewish and Gentile, considered squandering a father's hard-earned assets as a terrible crime. Terrible crime. Shameful. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And, when, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. At this point, many of Jesus' hearers may be ready for this story to end. You remember, the, the other two parables are quite short here. The son gets what he deserves. End of story. He's reduced to this horrendous job of feeding 
these unclean animals. End of story. The son should be cut off from any Jewish community that is around him and any financial charity that they might offer him. End of story. But Jesus doesn't end the story right here. He continues. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. The pods here are carob pods that were often fed to animals. They were raw, fed to animals. And now people could roast them and eat them, but only during extreme times of famine. Thus, some Jewish teachers said Israel repented whenever they were driven to eat these roasted carob pods. Given pigs' unclean eating habits, the thought of eating pigs would disgust Jesus' hearers there. The fact that the young man is jealous of the pig's food also suggests something else. Probably he wasn't receiving fair wages. He couldn't even feed himself. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? We see here that the son is finally starting to come to his senses. He's finally starting to think rationally about his horrible circumstances. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Jewish people often used heaven as a respectful way of saying God. The son here decides to return to his father simply out of hunger. And the belief that his father may feed him as a mere servant. He's not making this decision because he's actually sorry that he's disgraced his father. Given the magnitude, though, of his sin, the squandering of one-third of his father's earnings, these earnings that he acquired throughout an entire lifetime, Stricter hearers of this parable might regard his return as an act of incredible presumption as opposed to actual humility. In actuality, though, I believe that Ellen White gets closer to the truth. She wrote in Christ's Object Lessons, Miserable as he was, the prodigal found hope in the conviction of his father's love. It was that love which was drawing him toward home. So it is the assurance of God's love that constrains the sinner to return to God. Need was the driving factor in the son's decision to return home. It was the need to be loved. His need for love had conquered his pride. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
Now, once again, in the Jewish culture, it was a a breach of an elderly man's dignity to run. You've worked your whole life. Now you have servants who can do that stuff for you. This father didn't seem to care about that. Love had conquered the young man's pride, but love had also conquered the old father's dignity. The father reacts in the most loving way. No anger, no condemnation, no ridicule, just pure love and forgiveness. Just like the dirt and the dust that we saw last week, the dust and the dirt that covered the coin and Jesus' other parable, not even the degradation of years of sin can conceal the sun from the Father's eyes. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now the best robe in the house, it would have belonged to the father. The ring would probably have been a family signet ring. Essentially, what he's giving his son is the checkbook. (laughs) After wasting all that money, a father's love, it would symbolize a restatement of his sonship. Slaves or impoverished workers often did not wear sandals. With all of this that the father is saying, He's saying, no, I won't receive you back as a servant. I will only receive you back as my son. You're catching the beauty here, right? And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now the calf would have been enough to feed the entire village. This was a big party. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Now dancing was used in both religious and non-religious celebrations. And I find it here interesting that it seems as if the older son is the only one in the entire village who is uninformed about the celebration. Everybody else knows what's going on. But where's the older son? Hard at work, right? I believe Jesus is trying to focus on the older son's isolation from his community. He was working, yes, but he was kind of like the, you know, the, the Buddhist monk up on the hill, doing good, not causing any harm, but not interacting with anybody, not sharing any blessings, not receiving any blessings. Then he finds out and he refuses to go into the party, refuses to go in. This makes the family dispute public knowledge, and once again, shames the father. It dampens the celebration. 
So the younger son shamed the father by his actions, his prodigal living, his wasteful living. But now the older son is returning the favor. Remember, this was a culture where either either honor or shame were essential values in the cultural mindset. This insult to the father's dignity could have warranted discipline or disinheritance for the older son. And he said to him, this is the servant talking to the older brother, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Instead of punishing the older son, the father comes out from the celebration, humbles himself by laying aside his honor and seeks reconciliation with his older son. The father has done nothing wrong here, but he's willing to do whatever it takes to make it right. The younger son brought shame to the father and the father responded with love. The older son brought shame to the father and the father responded with love. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. I've been here the whole time, dad. Been working hard. Failing to greet one's father with a title like father, sir, etc., was another insult to the father's dignity. Notice that even the younger son used the term father when he was asking for his inheritance early. Wow. The older son here goes on to emphasize his service. Though the father wanted a son rather than a servant. He also emphasizes his obedience. When the father would much rather have relationships. In this context, the older son is an analogy for the scribes and Pharisees, the legalists of yesteryear and today. The younger son is an analogy for the sinners that Jesus was eating with. Remember what started this whole thing, these three parables. Jesus had the audacity to eat with sinners. And the church folk came in and said, "Uh uh-uh. Jesus, what are you about? What are you doing here? Do you know what these people have done? And Jesus gave these three parables. But as soon as this, this is the the older son still talking, but as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. I mean, essentially we know what he's saying here, right? Dad, this isn't fair. My sense of justice tells me this is not right. I'm angry about this, Dad, and you should be too. Religious Judaism in this period considered prostitution as a grievous sin. And then both Jewish and non-Jewish sources considered squandering property, especially property that was not your own, 
to be even worse. So the older son is laying it on thick here. It may be difficult to pick up on, but when gathering all these details from the narrator's logic, the oldest son, his response is worse than we modern readers might see when we first go through this story. Because the inheritance had already been divided, the older son was assured to get what was his. His father accepting back his younger brother didn't affect his inheritance. It was still safe. He had nothing to lose economically by his brother's return. And the father said to him, son, you were always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost, is found. The final response of the older brother, it's never stated. It's never stated. This is Jesus's way of providing the scribes and the Pharisees the opportunity to repent if they were willing. He's giving them the option to now put themselves into the story. If you remember a couple of years ago when I did a series on the book of Jonah, that book ends in a very similar fashion. No resolution given. It is our job as the reader to finish that story. How are we going to finish the story? The scribes and the Pharisees, they served God. They obeyed all his commands, yet they complained when God accepted sinners. They got uncomfortable thinking that God was going out of his way to seek out the lost. They were confused about what God expected of them. We've done all these things. Why is Jesus always coming at us? They assumed God wanted simple workers when in actuality, he wanted sons and daughters. He wanted children. We tend to refer to this parable as the prodigal son. And we view the young one, the one who went away, as the lost one. When in actuality, at different points in this story, both sons are lost. One of them was lost when he left home, and one of them got lost while staying at home. Both sons misunderstood what their father wanted from them in return. Both sons misunderstood their father's love. Both sons acted selfishly. This parable would be better referred to as the story of the loving father. The story of the loving father. This story is about a father who, no matter how terribly or how often his sons shamed him, humiliated him, and took advantage of him, he continued to seek to forgive and to love. I don't want to end this sermon series without taking a few moments to tie these three parables together. Because in these three stories that happen back to back to back there in Luke 15, there is a bit of a progression 
There's a progression here. There's the progression of value. In the first parable, a sheep is lost. Then in the second, a silver coin is lost. And finally, a son is lost. Part of the power of these parables to reach the audience comes from this shame slash honor aspect of their culture. To lose a sheep as a shepherd is a shameful thing. A coin from a piece of bridal jewelry or a a dowry lost in her own home would be even more shameful. And finally, losing a son within the Jewish culture was, was the worst of all of these things. There is a personal progression. The parables go from seeking only one of a hundred sheep to one of 10 coins and then one of two sons. This shows the scope of God's personal concern for individuals. And this fact would have been a great comfort to those sinners that he was speaking to. There's also a change in tense. In each parable, regarding the rejoicing at that which was found, we go from future tense to present tense to past tense. There is the quote, will be more joy, to there is joy, and finally, had to be. This may have communicated the certainty of God's acceptance of those who repent. Doesn't matter what you did or when you did it. God is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. There's a progression of earthly references too. The description of what the thing was lost in, which is a a subtle reference to sin. In all three stories, the sheep was lost in open fields, the coin was lost in the dirt and dust that was swept up, and the son was in the mud of a pigsty before coming to his senses. This lets us know that no amount of sin or wrongdoing affects God's love toward us. You know, I often like to tell people when they struggle with this thought of, have I gone too far? Does God really love me? What sort of penance do I have to do in order to win God's love back? I take them to the New Testament in that verse that talks about while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think of the worst place that you have been in your life, the worst person you have ever been. That is the you that Christ was thinking of when he was up on the cross. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. The relational power of each parable, there's a progression there too. You see, poor men and young boys, they would have related to the shepherd and the lost sheep. Women would have related best to the lost bridal coin. The last parable dealt with everyone present by dealing with this relationship of a father and son, a familial relationship. We might not all have the best relationship with our parents. Our parents might not still be around, but if we're alive, it's because mom and dad brought us here, right? Jesus wanted these parables to be relatable and to be understood by as many people as possible. Jesus believed in broad inclusion. He didn't want anyone feeling left out. It was important to Jesus that everyone knows how much God loves them. 
And as in, in that quote that I read from Ellen White, which I strongly agree with, it is that understanding that God loves you no matter what point you are, that will draw you back to him with a repentant heart. It's hard to get to that point if you don't even think God loves you or wants you or cares. There are also patterns of consistency in the parables. In all three parables, the main character, God, possesses something valuable and doesn't want to lose it. In all three parables, the main character, God, rejoices in finding the lost thing, and he's so excited, he doesn't want to just rejoice alone. In all three parables, the main character, God, expresses care and looking for or handling of that which was lost. Finally, in all three parables, each loss has a personal value, not just a monetary value. Shepherds Women care for their dowry. And a father loves his child. We are God's sheep. We are God's treasure. We are God's children. Jesus shared these parables so that none of us have an excuse for thinking that God doesn't love us. If the details in the parables are confusing, then I hope that you will at least take comfort in knowing that God himself came to this world, became a man, lived, and then died for you and for me. He rose from the grave, and now the promise is that he is coming back to take us home. This is the gospel. This is hope. This is the love of God. Won't you accept it today? It doesn't matter how high up on the mountain you are. It doesn't matter how deep in the valley you are, whether you're on land or on sea, whether you're happy, whether you're sad. It doesn't matter. God sees you. God hears you. God loves you. And if you're lost, God is searching for you. And I believe that if you are lost, God is drawing you closer to him. If you're here today or you're watching online, I believe that God through his spirit has been speaking through these three parables over the past three weeks. If you are listening to this, it's God telling you, I love you. And I want you back and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. I want to invite Sarah Shepard to come forward to stand at the foot of the steps as our elder in charge for today. After the benediction, those of you who wish to be dismissed may do so. But if there's anybody here that has a a specific need, a specific request, we would like to talk to you. We would like to listen. We would like to lift that petition up to God. And maybe, just maybe, there's someone here who after these three sermons, these, these three parables on the good news, you want to give your life to Jesus. Jesus gave his life to you, and now you are saying, I want to give my life to him. 
whether you want to commit your life to Jesus for the first time or whether you want to recommit your life to Jesus, please don't leave this place. Before you come pray with Sarah, you come pray with me. So I'm gonna have the benediction and Sarah will be over here on this side of the steps and I will step down there. But if you take nothing from this sermon series, take this. God loves you. And if you're lost, he hasn't given up searching for you to bring you back home. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his example to show us how to live. We thank you for his life that was broken and given for us. But Lord, we also thank you for his teachings. We, we thank you for these stories because in this world, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to hear your voice. Sometimes doubts creep in. Sometimes life chews us up and spits us out and beats us down. And we wonder, we're, we're praying, Lord, but are our prayers going higher than the ceiling? Are you listening? Do you care? But Lord, if we believe Jesus, if we trust in Jesus, we can look at these stories and know that you care. Know that you hear our prayers and know that you are actively working in our lives and in the world around us to bring us back home. And Lord, for those of us who we know that we are saved, we know that we are in your arms, we have accepted that place. Lord, help us to go forth with this message, to share it with those who don't know, those who have no hope. Lord, help us every single day to preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Lord, we thank you so much for giving yourself to us. And now we give ourselves to you. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen.